they're kind of the first full-fledged town that's probably going to get lost to sea level rise in America. I hope Tangier is saved, but I hedge a bit when it comes to the question of should it be safe? Let everybody know how much erosion. We ain't a sinking, we're eroding. We're not just talking about saving the land, a piece of land. We want to save a community, a, a, a way of life. Shall the Lord destroy Tangier? If we don't do anything, we're gonna have a lot more Tangiers, a lot more bigger cities and major cities lost. You're listening to Going Under, the story of Tangier Island, a production of WTOP. Here's Michelle Bash. Welcome to Tangier Island, Virginia, about 90 miles southeast of DC in the middle of the widest part of the Chesapeake Bay. If you could get a bird's eye view, you would see it's actually three skinny strips of land side by side with bridges like giant staples holding the whole thing together. And this island is smaller than the grounds of Reagan National Airport, a little more than one square mile or about 750 acres. But only a small fraction of that is habitable land. Only about 10% is habitable. David Schulte is a marine biologist with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Those ridges are very narrow, so uh, some of them are only about 100 meters wide. For this small island, crabs are big business. Tangier is known as the softshell crab capital of the world. Its watermen catch more blue crabs in the Chesapeake Bay than those in any other town, and island restaurants serve them up fresh as can be. The other big moneymaker, tourism. Ferries bring in scores of visitors between May and October. They find mom-and-pop shops, American flags, and roaming cats, but no Starbucks, traffic lights, or cell phone service. There are three or four restaurants, a few gift shops, one grocery store, a post office, a health clinic, a public beach, and a history museum. Most people use golf carts, bicycles, or scooters to get around, and most roads are only wide enough for two carts to pass. One of the few cars on the island is a Toyota Prius driven by Tangier's one and only police officer. Tangier Island, small as it is, is quickly getting even smaller. The reason why depends on who you talk to. Scientists blame global warming and a process called subsidence. Most islanders blame erosion. Either way, the island is vanishing so fast that every one of its 460 or so residents may have to move away in as few as 25 years. I wanted to get a first-hand look at Tangier Island, but getting there wasn't easy, and it was the first hint of how different the place is from any other in Virginia. There are no hotels, only bed and breakfasts, and seeing no way to book online, I called to reserve a room at Hilda Crockett's Chesapeake House. There are two ways to travel to Tangier, by plane, the island has an airstrip, or by boat. I chose to drive north from my home, over the Bay Bridge, and down to Crisfield, the southernmost town on Maryland's eastern shore. It took about three hours. There, I got on a boat, tacking on about another hour. I wanted to buy a ticket ahead of time, but the internet offered no how-tos. I made another call to the friendly people at the bed and breakfast and learned you pay when you get on board. 
I chose to take a boat called the Courtney Thomas because that's the one most locals use to get to and from the mainland. They make the trip to do basic things like see doctors, take the dog to the vet, and go shopping for food and other necessities. The day of my travels, the Courtney Thomas, which many just called the mail boat, was stuffed with stuff. There's water, I see an air conditioner, walmart.com package. We got some Virginia green stone being taken over to Tangier. I see a, oh, lots more water, Aquafina, Deer Park, some Pepsi, Diet Pepsi. Dining chair, set of two blue. <laughs> lots of different stuff. My suitcase is on there, someone else's suitcase. Um, oh, I see a motorcycle or a scooter. Picking up some speed here. Not long after we left the dock, we passed a mysterious looking tower on a spit of land. It turned out to be a brick chimney, all that remains of an old factory destroyed by fire in the 1930s. I monitored our position in the bay on Google Maps until my iPhone lost service. Eventually, Tangier's tallest landmark, a light blue water tower, came into view in the distance. Along the main channel into the harbor, we passed Port Isabel, an island owned by the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Next, we were surrounded on both sides by crab shanties. They're small buildings built on stilts over the water, where watermen keep their crab pots and other gear. As the boat arrived at its destination, I was surprised to see Tangier's mayor waiting on the dock to greet me. He knew I was coming to interview him, but we had not yet settled on a time. I'll look at the weather and the radar, and, but I'll meet you at a fisherman's corner at 2 o'clock. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Okay. Thank right. you, Mayor. Yep. And would you yep. prefer Uker? Uker's good. Okay. Yep. Just stick with Uker? Yeah, that's okay. good. Okay. <laughs> yep. Mayor James Eskridge is a waterman with a friendly, matter-of-fact manner and no need for a suit and tie. He was wearing a faded cap, T-shirt, and jeans. And no one who knows him calls him Mayor James Eskridge. Everyone calls him Uker. <laughs> Uker, a lot of folks have nicknames here. Uh, when I was small, a kid, uh, I had a, maybe I was four or five years old, I had a pet rooster, and, and I think I, instead of calling it a rooster, I think I called it an Uker. And uh, nicknames stick out here. Yeah, I've been mayor for 12 years now. It's a two-year term, but uh, nobody nobody runs against me. They, I tell folks, people are either happy with what I'm doing or just don't give a rip. There are dozens of homes on Tangier Island. Many are well-kept, others look run down. I saw one or two that looked vacant. Small yards are often separated by white picket or chain link fences, and several have headstones in the front yard. One yard was packed with at least 20 grave markers. A sign aimed at questioning tourists like me explains that caskets can also be found buried near homes on Virginia's eastern shore. One reason is houses are typically built on higher ground, lowering the risk that a casket will be disturbed by flooding. It also allows family members to easily tend to and visit their loved one's grave. Something else visitors to Tangier Island notice, there are not many big trees. In the town itself, people's trees are dying in their yards, and that's because basically of saltwater intrusion. The water is coming up through the island, and these freshwater trees cannot take the salt and they're dying off. David Schulte, the marine biologist, explains 
basically what happens is as the water gets higher, the land gets more and more inundated. So you have what we call conversion, which is basically you take a, a land that can support, say, an oak tree or an apple tree, and it will convert into first an upland marsh, which will hold wax myrtle, things like that. And then it will eventually convert to low marsh, which is, you know, the Spartina grass marsh, which makes up most of Tangier today. And then that converts to open water. So what we've observed is that a lot of the uplands have already been converted. Now's a good time to talk about squirrels. In his recently published book about Tangier, Chesapeake Requiem, journalist and author Earl Swift writes that for years, Tangier had just one squirrel, and spotting it was a momentous occasion. When that solo squirrel wasn't seen for a while, someone brought two more ashore and set them free. But it's not clear if any survive today. On a recent Sunday at New Testament Church, one of two churches on the island. A special shout out to the West Ridgers. Flooding, which is frequent on Tangier, is worse than usual, and it's particularly bad on the West Ridge. That is dedication to be here this morning with all the tide that we're got. So if you see a West Ridger, you need to tell them you're glad to see them here. Dwayne Crockett is a church elder and a social studies and English teacher at Tangier Combined School. His Tangier dialect is one of the most pronounced I've heard and as addicting as the crab cakes I enjoyed on this island of uncertain futures. Most of the time, we don't know the full plan of God while we're going through it. But we can rest assured if we are his child, it is all being worked out for our good. A big metal historic marker at the center of the island says Tangier was visited in 1608 by Captain John Smith and settled in 1686. Earl Swift writes that Captain Smith was the first European to spot the island, but there's no evidence that he actually visited it. The first confirmed white settlers, Joseph Crockett and his family, didn't arrive until 1778, and most of today's residents are descended from that group. In fact, a bunch of family names reappear over and over again on the island among the living and the dead. Names like Charnock, Crockett, Parks, and Pruitt. It's hard to believe, but Tangier started out as a farming community. Of course, it was a lot larger. And folks from the mainland, they kept their, their livestock over here. They kept cattle over here and pigs. And then they realized the abundance of seafood around the island and in the area, so we we transitioned into a fishing community. And now over the years, we've actually transitioned into a crabbing community, pretty much strictly crabbing. Oysters in the wintertime, which has always been, but uh, it's all about the seafood out here. During the War of 1812, the British established a fort on Tangier, Fort Albion, and used it as a base for attacks on Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. It was one of those attacks on Baltimore's Fort McHenry that led to the creation of the Star-Spangled Banner. The fort also provided refuge for hundreds of escaped American slaves. But this place, full of history, is gone forever, submerged under the Chesapeake Bay. The 
highest points on Tangier are just four feet above sea level. So every time a hurricane appears to be headed for the Chesapeake Bay, Uker says people get nervous. Hurricane season is probably our most worrisome time. This past September, Hurricane Florence was churning in the Atlantic, still deciding where to go, when Dwayne Crockett asked the congregation at New Testament Church. How many of you have already prayed for the storm? Ooh, we thought it had hit. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we have been praying for the storm. Have we made any promises to the Lord if it veers off? You see, he hears us. He hears what we say. A 1933 hurricane left Tangier covered with water as high as the second story of some buildings. In 2003, Hurricane Isabel flooded almost 100 homes and left 40% of the island's crab shanties damaged or destroyed. And it was Hurricane Sandy in 2012 that tossed the last remnant of an abandoned Tangier settlement into the bay. More about that later. Schulte, the marine biologist, is very concerned about Tangier's vulnerability. They've been very lucky with all the different hurricanes and nor'easters that have come up the bay over the years. They never get hit directly. And one direct hit is really all it's going to take. I mean, they're so low-lying that I think a direct hit on the town would just make the remaining people kind of abandon it rather than rebuild. Set aside hurricanes and Tangier still faces a double threat. Two processes working together to shrink the island. Schulte says global warming is pushing up sea levels and the land has been sinking since the end of the ice age almost 12,000 years ago. The big ice sheet up north of us, it was so heavy that it actually pressed down enough on Earth's crust to uh, compress it and the land actually sunk north of the Chesapeake Bay region and for the south where we are in the Bay region the ice sheet didn't reach and so the land was actually raised up kind of like when you drop a bowling ball on a bed mattress. So when the ice melted the land that makes up our region began to sink back into place and that is still going on to this day. In 2015 Schulte was the lead author of a published paper that got a lot of attention. It said Tangier Island is only one-third the size it was in 1850, and it's losing an average of eight acres of land per year. That's about the size of the grounds of the National World War II Memorial in D.C. The paper concluded that if nothing is done to fight climate change or shore up the island, Tangier could be uninhabitable in as few as 25 years. But most residents, including Uker, don't believe sea level rise is happening. They blame their island's disintegration on erosion by waves. This sea level rise thing, it's not a it's not a political issue to me. I'm not lying about it. I'm on the water every day, almost every day of the year for the last 50 years, and uh, I just don't see the you know sea level rising. If it's rising, then it's I can't detect it. It's really hard to see five millimeters a year of sea level rise especially when you're riding around in a boat. Says Schulte. Erosion is related to sea level rise. As the water gets higher, the waves are able to hit higher up on the island into softer material, and that increases the rate of land loss. So although a lot of people think it's just one or the other, it's both linked together. Uker says protection added about 30 years ago on one side of the island needs to be extended. Now this here is our west side seawall. This is where we are losing 25 feet of shoreline a year. 
and that was completed in 1989 and we haven't lost an inch since 89 so that it works that's what we need surrounding the island As a way to counteract the twin forces at work on Tangier, Schulte's 2015 report recommends building offshore breakwaters on both the east and west side of the island, adding a new beach and dune system, and restoring some ridges that have turned into marsh. But the study estimated the cost of initial construction for all of that at 20 to $30 million, and it would need to be approved by Congress. Would it be worth it? Uker says yes. We're not just talking about saving the land, a piece of land. We want to save a community, a, a, a way of life. Tangier is very savable. I mean, it can be saved. And the money's, the money's available, but it just needs to be directed to this, you know, to this problem. Schulte says... They're kind of the first full-fledged town that's probably gonna get lost to sea level rise in America if we don't do anything about it. You know, there's a little fishing village down in Louisiana, but they didn't really have any significant infrastructure. This place does, you know, as a school, it has its own sewage treatment plant, power plant, uh, water lines, power lines, everything that makes up a town. A small bit of help that residents have been waiting decades for is coming soon. It was 1994 when Congress authorized the Army Corps of Engineers to begin studying the idea of adding a jetty to the island to help protect its harbor. With studies done and federal and state funding finally in place, the nearly 500-foot-long stone jetty is scheduled to be built in 2019. Design and construction will cost about $2.6 million. So it's basically protecting the seafood industry's infrastructure, all their boats, and the navigation channel. That's its purpose, and that's all it does. It's not meant to protect the town. It's not going to save the island, but it will protect the things that it's designed to protect. Next time on Going Under, the story of Tangier Island. Before an old cemetery was swallowed by the Chesapeake Bay. There was an ostrich buried up here, and a grave was starting to go into the water. So I, I dug the I got I dug the bones up, uh, put them in a box, sealed the box. I'm Michelle Bash. Going Under is a production of WTOP News in Washington D.C. Find more at goingunderpodcast.com.